Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to teach you tonight. Last week, we began a new series in Growth University on the general epistles. And if you're not terribly familiar with that term, that includes the books of Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. I think it's important to acknowledge in this series that if we're honest, most of us are more familiar with the Pauline epistles or the epistles that Paul wrote, and we're certainly familiar with the Gospels. I can't say that I have a clear answer for you as to why we uh, gravitate maybe a little bit more to those particular books or just have a, a different comfort level with them, but I want to bring that to our attention as we continue this series. I feel challenged, especially in the wake of our present reality, not to limit my knowledge or even as I have opportunity, your knowledge to certain books of the Bible that I am particularly comfortable with or that I am very familiar with. The truth is we certainly have time to study and reflect on the scripture in a way we have not before. But I just want to encourage you that there is something so powerful and exciting about learning new things in your personal devotion time. Something happens within us when God's word becomes active and alive in our minds and is planted within our hearts. And so my prayer is that this series will help us to realize a need and an opportunity to better study the Bible as we seek to understand the context of the general epistles. When we find ourselves unfamiliar or even sometimes, if we're honest, uncomfortable with a particular text, we should be motivated, even convicted, to study, to show ourselves approved, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these writings that we're looking into through this series are letters, but not just any letters. These books were written by a stellar cast of individuals in the Bible, written by Peter, Jesus's half-brothers, James and Jude, John the Beloved, and one anonymous writer, the writer of Hebrews. And tonight we turn our focus to the epistles of John the Beloved. As I've alluded to before, Tom and I have a very sophisticated, very spiritual way of assigning content to each other in series like this one which basically means I call dibs on John's letters because he is my favorite. 
The Gospel of John is my favorite book of the Bible. And these three letters, these small books that we are going to consider together tonight, contain some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And through the years as I've studied these books, my interest and my admiration for John has grown. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to who it is that you want to meet first and discuss scripture with when you get to the New Jerusalem, but I have thought about it, and for me, John is at the top of my list. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, the one who remained with Jesus at the cross. The one to whom Jesus gave the care of his dear mother, the one who received the revelation of Jesus Christ, who actually saw the end of the world and the beginning of a glorious eternity. My man, John, he's kind of a big deal. And I want to talk to him someday about what it was like to be so close to Jesus. Now, these are not just incoherent babblings of me talking about a personal hero. Oh, no. I am the setting the stage for us tonight. You see, there is so much more to be gained by reading Scripture within its context, within a specific and as close as we can a correct context, because it allows us to better understand what the writer is trying to communicate to us, and it will help us better apply it in our own lives. And so with this in mind, I want to offer to you three contextual insights to help us as we study the letters of John tonight. You see, John is an eyewitness to the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This makes his perspective especially weighty. Now, there's some debate on the order of the books that John wrote. What specific order did he actually write them in? But to be clear, the order really does not matter to us for our purposes of study. But what I think is of interest for us is the general consensus, consensus among scholars that John was an older man when he wrote these books. This means to us his voice is that of an elder in the church. John had an authority. John had an understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus taught, an understanding and an authority that I would argue very few can compete with. I think it's safe to say, based on what we know, that John was an authority on who Jesus was. And this brings us to insight number one tonight, that John is writing to confront false teaching. It is very important to acknowledge this because these letters he wrote were written specifically to confront false teaching that was trying to infiltrate the church around the area of Ephesus. Now, John does not identify all of the issues 
that the people, uh, the people that were responsible even for these issues that the church was facing. However, he does mention three people specifically by name in 3 John. The first one is a man named Gaius. In verse 1, we understand that he was a member of the church. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Then there's a second guy whose name, unfortunately, I am probably going to botch, but I'm going to try real hard. Diotrophes, verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrophes, who likes to put himself first, very interesting sidebar, thank you, John, does not acknowledge our authority. This man was a church member who was working against John within the church. He was working against his authority as an elder in that church. And then our third person that we know by name is Demetrius in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. It was Demetrius, most likely, who carried these letters for John. Although we do not know exactly what was happening in the church at this time, we can deduce from John's writings that there were people coming against him personally and attacking his authority within that church. From what we can tell in John's writings, these individuals had, to put it mildly, a spiritual superiority complex. According to Jeremy Painter in the handbook of the general epistles that we are using as a guide in this series, the false teachers were convinced they had a superior enlightenment and had arrived at a spiritual zenith. Now let me just say that that kind of mentality will open you up to spiritual deception. When we think of ourselves as spiritually superior in our understanding of the scriptures, we make ourselves extremely vulnerable. We also see through this situation, John is addressing that we place ourselves in great danger when we view ourselves spiritually higher than those that God has already put in places of authority over us. Now, I realize that in my position, that might sound self-serving to you, but I assure you, it is not. I'm trying to help you here. You see, there is no one in the church that is beyond spiritual accountability, that is beyond the need for spiritual leadership in their lives. We must respect those in leadership. We must respect the God-given authority that these individuals represent. It is for our protection. Through their belittlement of John, these individuals that he is referring to open themselves up to believe lies about Jesus Christ himself. It is clear from the beginning of 1 John and throughout, these false teachers, antichrist is the term that John uses so strongly and repeatedly. 
These teachers were denying Jesus' identity, specifically his humanity. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. But this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. These people had picked a fight with the wrong elder, let me tell you. Imagine with me, if you will, the vexation, as dad used to say, of that precious elder disciple to hear rumors of false teachers confusing and hurting that church. Imagine John's reaction to hear that there were those who were teaching that Jesus was not who he had claimed to be, that Jesus was not, in fact, God manifested in the flesh. That's what they were teaching. These teachers were denying Jesus' humanity. And this is especially significant to us because that teaching totally negates Jesus' sinless life and sacrifice on the cross. If anyone knew who Jesus was, it was John. John walked with him. John was discipled by him. John stood at the cross and watched him die. John saw with his own eyes an empty tomb on that resurrection day. It was John who would devote his gospel to proving that Jesus was the embodiment of the Jewish feast, which is an incredible study, by the way. John's love and devotion for Jesus was without question. This brings us to insight number two. John is writing these letters as a passionate elder and pastor. We see that second only to John's devotion to Jesus was his profound love for the church. It is a theme throughout these three books at the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Look at those words, my dear children. John refers to his readers repeatedly in the closest terms of endearment. They are family. He is devoted to their spiritual well-being as their pastor. John is appealing to them as their spiritual father. First John chapter 4 verse 1, beloved Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Insight number three. John refers to the church as the elect lady. Before I move on to the next part of this lesson, which is the themes we find in these books, I wanted to point out something to you that has always caught my attention, I suppose, for obvious reasons when I have been reading 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 
John uses this interesting term throughout these letters that I would guess has probably grabbed your attention before as well. Second John, verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Some have thought that this lady was maybe an acquaintance of John's, but in my study I found that many scholars agree that this lady actually represents the local church and that her children represent the individual members. This interpretation seems more likely than referring to a specific individual. We see this analogy of the church being represented by a female in another one of John's books, the book of Revelation, and other books in the New Testament as well. Paul uses the metaphor of a husband and wife to compare the relationship between Christ and his bride or the church. According to Painter in our book, the elect lady and her children probably refer symbolically to a Christian community. So, If you've ever wondered, that's a pretty feasible explanation. So, as I hasten, it's worth noting how short these particular books are in Scripture. One commentator I read compared the book of 2 John to a postcard. It has, I think, a little over 200 uh, words in it. And I think about that compared to a writer like Luke, who was very thorough and... uh, For some of us, maybe a little long-winded, no detail spared. But 3 John is even shorter. So I guess maybe by comparison, 3 John is like a very expensive telegram. I, I don't know, but they're pretty brief. And I think it's interesting to take notice of that when you consider the unique challenge posed to you as a writer when you're filling out a postcard. I mean, every word has to count. It's not like a blog or a letter that goes on indefinitely. You are very precise in choosing your words. My favorite quote by William Shakespeare might surprise you, but it is this. Brevity is the soul of wit. A lot of discipline and a lot of intentionality are required when you have to keep your remarks brief. And so with this in mind, let us consider the themes that John has in these three seemingly short books of the Bible. For the sake of our time together, I have chosen to present to you themes found throughout 1 John in particular. Now, as you get into your own personal study time, you will find many more. But for the sake of application in the context of the day that we're living in, I have chosen five. Let us look at them quickly. The first theme is Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus was the perfect, sinless offering for our 
sins. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you, he's talking about Jesus, than he that is in the world. Our second theme is love. And if you have any familiarity with these books, you probably went ahead and guessed that one correctly. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, a lengthy reading, but I encourage you to read along with me. These verses are so powerful. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him And he and God, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are called to love one another. Our love for each other, John tells us, is the evidence of our love for God. Love is the antidote for fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's love, perfect or mature love, removes fear inside of us. We did a Growth University series on the book Anxious for Nothing 
by Max Lucado a couple of years ago. And I would encourage you to maybe revisit that series on the podcast. Or if you have the book, brush up on its content. It's so powerful and relevant to where we are right now. But Max Lucado makes a very simple statement that I think is so powerful. And I wrote it in my Bible and it means so much to me. It is the application of what John is saying here in these verses we just read. Max says this, The mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. I'm going to say that one more time. The mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. Our third theme is truth. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. But you have been anointed, there's that word, anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he gave us. That word in verse 23 for believe, the Greek word is in the present tense. It represents an ongoing, continuous action. And in facing their present crisis as a, jo- as a church, John is saying, keep believing in the truth. It is an ongoing reality. It is a continuous action. No matter what the circumstances are, on your part as a believer to keep believing. John said, you know the truth. You know what it is. So keep believing it. Truth is relative to our present circumstances, Calvary. Truth remains the same. Keep believing what you know to be true according to the only source of truth in this world, which is the holy word of God. The fourth theme is hope. First John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We have hope today because Jesus overcame the world. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We have hope tonight because we know God hears our cry. Amen. And then finally, eternal life. Eternal life is our fifth and final theme. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. There's a wasp on my iPad in case you saw that. Pray for my peace and safety in this moment. Amen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Our hope is in eternal life. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father, praise God, has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him As he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. Such powerful words of scripture. We've come to our app time now. And so I have a couple of questions for you. I I hope that you have somebody to discuss with. Maybe you could over text or over the phone in the next few minutes. But it is this what theme? From John's letters is most important to you right now. And why? What theme, we just went over five, uh, what theme is most important to you right now in this moment? I'm going to give you a few minutes to consider this among yourselves. Amen. I hope I'm stating the obvious to you when I say that God's word is as true and as relevant as it has ever been. Don't you doubt it. God is not shaken. His promises are not canceled. And his word is still true. Amen. We have the knowledge of who Jesus is and who he will always be. We have his love that removes fear and is meant to be shared with one another. We have truth that we can hold on to in these troubled times. We have hope in his promises. He hears our prayers today. This world is not our home. And finally, we have 
eternal life in him because of what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. And I encourage you to make these themes prayers. God, give me a fresh revelation of who you are during this time. God, give me a better understanding of your great love for me. Help me, Lord, to believe the truth of your word. Remind me daily, even moment by moment, of the hope that I have in you. And keep my eyes, Jesus, on the promise of eternal life with you someday. Amen. As I conclude tonight, I wanted to read the last two verses of John's third epistle. Because I thought they were especially meaningful right now. John says, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. In my humanity, I do not wish to speak to you through this These two lenses that I'm looking at right now. I long to see your faces. I long to be around you and hear your voices in worship and in laughter and to enjoy the presence of God together. But till that time when the Lord sees fit, I will say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.